You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we are following our spinning arrow and choosing our path all throughout the Disney animated canon, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, listening with our heart to discover how this movie or these movies have shaped us and formed our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today, we're seeing what's just around the riverbend of 1995's Pocahontas, the 33rd film in the canon. James Pentecost, who is the film's producer, described the theme of the movie this way, that we need to live together in harmony with nature and each other in order to survive. While the Native American advisor for the film, Shirley Little Dove Kustalau McGovern, said, they've maintained the respect of my people, but they have lost the story of Pocahontas. You don't know this, but after the recording each month, I always say to my co-host, a stirring oration, sir. I'm sure the men were most exhilarated. And here to exhilarate us again, it's Michael Farmer. I was sure you were going to call me a savage, Josh. <laughs> yeah, well, I had, I had so many good choices this month in, uh, in uh, how to introduce you, so <laughs> I decided to avoid, avoid calling you a savage. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Although interesting in this movie, the way that uh, – I know this is jumping straight to the end of the movie here, but uh, the way that you know they, the movie is – structured in such a way that we get these parallel worlds uh, colliding and then by the end they're actually responding in nearly identical ways which I think is is appropriate to the theme of the movie um, yeah. but they're both calling the other savage yeah they're, yeah, they're so. both both sides are both sides see the other side as savage and I don't I don't know how um, historically accurate that is we, we actually apparently don't know all that much about the paladins they they died out not long after this because of um, I think because of smallpox, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting artistic move. And as the Native American advisor said, this is scarcely the story of Pocahontas. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, I read a book. I think I've may- maybe mentioned it on this podcast before, called "1491" uh, by Charles Mann, uh, which is the story of the Americas uh, just prior to Columbus's arrival, and. Um, and there he talks a lot about um, the, as you said, just the, the fact that disease wiped out so many um, uh, of the, you know, first peoples, or I don't, I don't know what the appropriate term these days, you know, but um, uh, just like, and the, the because disease moves so much faster than than people, that their entire we societies know. were 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 yes, as we figured out recently. <laughs> We've all experienced this recently, um, but like entire populations were destroyed. So entire cultures were destroyed before Europeans even came upon them. And so then when the Europeans are coming upon them, they're thinking that this is normal when actually this is a completely decimated society. And so a lot of our historical picture of what was happening here is wrong. And then to your point about, you know, did you know, did they feel that the Europeans were savages? He he makes the point in the book that most Europeans who are arriving 
would have they're first of all they're coming off a ship that they've been on for four months <laughs> and so with no hygiene or grooming you know but um also that the uh, most of them have survived smallpox and so they're they're probably scarred on their face and and hands and stuff and so um and they were in general they were shorter than the native population and so huh. in a lot of ways that the the you know the native population was probably looking upon the europeans as like these these are um some sort of um very different kind of humans you know it wasn't necessarily a flattering it wasn't the flattering john smith blonde hair blue eyes uh perfectly you know perfectly symmetrical that that they were look that they were gazing upon well and they they have more body hair than native americans by and large I, you, you're right mm-hmm. and and even in, in the context of the movie the first thing the, these europeans aren't off the ship for 45 minutes before they completely destroy the land so you right. can certainly you could certainly uh, see how um, see how the 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 Native Americans would think of them not only as savages but really as, as some sort of demonic force if they had the conception of demons. Because another thing we don't know about the Paladins is their religious beliefs. I don't think we know anything about their religious beliefs. In fact, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yes, it's 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 sad how much is lost to us, um, you know, and. Yeah, what 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 was this actually like? This this is definitely not history, but you know, I read an interesting article uh, just a few days ago um, about Hamilton, and for Hamilton, it was you know because you know Hamilton's back in the whether it ever left the cultural zeitgeist, I don't know, but it's back big now because it's you know it's been streaming on Disney Plus, our favorite, um, and. Uh, <laughs> And actually, I'm I'm glad my parents have Disney Plus right now because I I got to see Hamilton. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is uh, I read a really interesting article that were saying Hamilton is fan fiction, and so the people who like fan fiction of uh, history, and so people who get it, quote unquote, get it, you know, um, like they can see the themes and they can they it resonates with them and it's it's powerful because it's that like they're not trying to see it as like they're not trying to nitpick every historical inaccuracy in Hamilton. They're looking at the bigger picture. And so I think there's something that could be said for that, for this Pocahontas as well. Like, can we look beyond the historical unknowns and inaccuracies and actually try and get at like what the theme of the movie is, you know? Right. right. This is, this is not a movie about the historical Pocahontas. It's a movie about tolerance or whatever, whatever you take to be the message of the movie. Yeah. It's not I do what, think what I had remembered it being, which is a movie about nature. And I guess I thought that because of the, the big showstopper is Colors of the Wind, which sounds like a song about nature, but it's really just a, a kind of argument, apology for her way of life over and against the Europeans. And that, that's really the, the theme of the movie, I think, is, is how do these two cultures that, that are different to the point of seeing each other as subhuman, how can they get along? Which, you know, however well you think the movie does it, seems like a theme that might be relevant to 2020. Yeah, definitely. Definitely ongoing uh, relevance on, on that thematic issue. Yeah. And I think it's interesting there, the, uh, um, you know, that Colors the Wind song, is definitely like it's the heart of the movie it's the first thing that they came up with you know it's the first song they came up with it's exactly at the midpoint of the movie like if you pause your movie um when you get to that song you'll you can see on the little scroller bar that you know you're you're right at the midpoint so even with the structure of the movie it's it's right you know right dead in the center so um and i do think it's probably the most you know the most memorable and powerful part of the movie it it it, the animation during that sequence is really interesting it 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 
does what Disney occasionally does, which is moves from a more realistic uh, animation style to something a little bit more um, impressionistic. I guess it's probably the best way to say it. I think I think that's done very well. Yeah, it's yeah. This I, so the whole movie I feel like is really probably some of the best animation that we've seen on the whole. Like it's just it's really beautiful throughout. Absolutely. And, yeah, and you're right that that movie does so many interest or sorry that that song does so many interesting things that animation does so well. The cuts between you know uh, the thing that comes to mind for me is um, as she's singing about the wolf crying. There's there's like a reflection of a wolf moving across her face, and then that fades into the trees, and then you know later they're tumbling, and it's you know there there's leaves, and then it tumbles into water, and it's just such an such a smooth transition because it's all drawn you know like it's it's really just amazing and then there's a there's a moment where she goes into uh, a charcoal um animation style uh so yeah there's just there's a lot happening in that song that's really really impressive and and it reflects the 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 film's position on her spiritual beliefs which is that there there's not really a hard line between what europeans would see as reality and what europeans would see as fairy tale or fantasy right that, that so so from his perspective these weird things are happening but presumably because she lives in this kind of animistic universe where everything is personal um she you know she she doesn't experience it that way that this is this is all a unbroken uh, movement for her. I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in, in such a way that it doesn't sound like I'm dismissing her religious beliefs or uh, or accepting them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I think uh, it, again, again, may or may not have been the real life Pocahontas's religious beliefs at all because we don't really know. And Pocahontas, furthermore, converted to Christianity uh, when she married uh, John Rolfe and moved to England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's another whole interesting side of the tale, you know, like just I, I don't know. They, they they really leave out a lot of the real Pocahontas's life in that way, you know, right, right. or. But, but again, what are you going to do? She was she was a 10 year old um, in, in real life <laughs> and she died of smallpox when she moved to England and married somebody other than John Smith. It just wouldn't have made a very good uh, Disney picture. And I, I suspect what they what they liked about it was. uh uh, was that theme of of these two cultures that can't live together learning to live together and and i I read somebody who suggested that this might have been inspired in some ways by the uh Rodney King riots in nineteen ninety two uh which would certainly make sense yeah. so in other words, this movie is an answer to rodney king's famous famous question can't we all just get along right yeah and that that is actually so the movie i think was already in um you know is is being worked on but that was definitely one of the reasons that I'm trying to find the director's name here um Eric Eric Goldberg was the co-director Eric we talked about him in Aladdin because he's the guy who designed the genie and basically set the the tone of all of Aladdin on that one design choice um he's now the director of this movie or co-director i should say and he says when they when they approached him about it that was one of the reasons was because they approached him within weeks of the you know those la riots and things that were happening at that time um and so that that spoke to him in that way um so yeah that's that's something interesting there i do wonder a little bit and i was i wanted to get your take on this michael is because um 
so I think there was there was a couple things that seemed to be happening within the studio at this time. They'd gotten they'd faced some criticism from both Aladdin and Lion King um, because of um, some racial things. You know, like we talked about it a little bit with in Aladdin. Um, what what did you call it in Aladdin? Orientalism. Yeah, Orientalism. That, That's Edward that Said's term? term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they'd gotten some pushback on that. And then I think in, in the Lion King, they'd gotten some pushback with the, with the hyena characters in particular. Um, and so, uh, there, there, there seemed to be a concerted effort to kind of move away from that or correct some in that direction. And then, yeah, you do have the, the timing of it with the LA riots. Um, but the other thing that happened was that, uh, I think as kind of a surprise to everyone, Beauty and the Beast had been nominated for an Academy Award, which had never happened for an animated film before. And I think they were really trying to see if they could secure one. <laughs> you know, like it seemed like they were really like, okay, how do, can we can we align things in such a way that we that we put out a movie that is sensitive to you know this theme that is culturally relevant right now and is powerful and it's it's kind of you know writing our um, I don't know, like, like some some reaction for you know within within these different communities. I don't know. I don't know if I'm playing pushing too much on that, but in some ways, this movie felt a little that way to me. Like they, they were trying really hard to push a message rather than to necessarily tell a story. Yeah, and I I think you feel that um in in the the movie and. I have, I'd only seen this one time before. I saw it 10 years ago, so I did not see it when it came out. This was the first Disney movie that I didn't see uh, after I saw Oliver and Company. It's the first one I didn't see um, as a kid. I had I, I was 13 when it came out. I guess I, I decided I was too old for it. Um, but my, my memory was that it was much more... Well, the term then was politically correct. I guess now we would say woke. Then it then it is actually that I I think the movie, um, certainly has that uh, has that drive behind it, but I don't I don't know that it goes as far as I remembered it going in that direction. Yeah. So a couple things that I I noticed in here that that made me kind of latch on to this thesis i guess of like they're they're really like just they're they're trying almost too hard you know it was and, and actually so i to be fair to the movie itself this is extra you know extra to the movie this has been in like my research that i've been kind of made aware of some of this stuff so eric goldberg who i was just talking about the co-director he actually secretly took time off from this movie and worked under a, a pseudonym on some chuck jones films uh drawing wily coyote and stuff just to get away from the pressure of upper management at disney <laughs> who who were so like set on making this movie like what you said politically correct or woke or whatever the term was at the time Our you know that it Kassenberg, really right yeah it just about pushed him out the well not just him but eisner and and uh um I think Jim Pentecost, the producer, is probably part of that. Like, I mean, there's just, you know, you could lay the blame in a lot of places. But um, they actually even said in the the commentary on this movie, like, this was not a fun movie to make. <laughs> Hopefully it was rewarding for people who made it, but there was so much pressure to make it just right and perfect. Um, so that's one thing that kind of 
makes me think like, oh man, maybe they were just trying too hard. But the other thing was uh, there was some criticism of um, Ratcliffe as a villain and that he's not a very good villain. And the response was, well, Ratcliffe isn't really the villain. It's really prejudice is the villain in this movie. <laughs> and I thought, you can't have prejudice as the villain in your movie and still have a good story. Like it just doesn't work, you know, like also in what sense is Ratcliffe, not the villain. When I was watching it, I was thinking, uh, I wonder what Ratcliffe's descendants think about this movie because he comes off so evil. Yeah. Not just evil, Um, like, you know, small, like he, he, he has come to the new world and decided to kill all these Indians because he's failed at everything else he ever did, which I think is is not inaccurate in a lot of colonialism. It's it's in a, in a lot of cases it was people who kind of couldn't hack it in their civilization, and what they what they would do instead is go um, go go lord it over a you know a quote unquote inferior race. So. But yeah. I, I, I wondered, I thought, man, if the real Ratcliffe wasn't as bad as this, his descendants must hate this movie. Yeah. Well, I think, so, uh, yeah, several things to jump in on there. Um, I mean, one is, I mean, John Smith alludes to that same thing that you were just saying. Like, he says, I've never really belonged anywhere. Like, there there is that sense of, like, not belonging that, that pushes people, I think, to go seek a new world. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think Ratcliffe in the movie is actually a um a combination of several different historical people so it's not just like it got the name Ratcliffe which i'm sure um is not nice for him but uh yeah it's not specifically supposed to be this one guy i don't think he may not but have as had any as it, descendants have you have you have you read what happens to the real john Ratcliffe? Yeah, I was hoping not to come across that in this movie <laughs> or in in this conversation it makes me yeah it i'm i'm so squeamish about anything like that so yeah he is he has a very bad end <laughs> yeah he um yeah if you if you don't want to talk about it, you we don't have to but josh is right like uh his his death is gruesome yeah and yeah, it's interesting it's... because he dies because the um the native americans trick him essentially and i don't know whether we would say he deserved it or not but they um they call him and 14 other jamestown colonists uh, over to their village and they say we're going to give you some corn and instead they do this horrible thing to him which you can easily read about on wikipedia if you're so interested in yeah we'll keep it family friendly because <laughs> it is definitely not family friendly yeah you'll never eat mussels the same way i'll tell you that much yeah. so <laughs> um yeah, and so uh, like so, friend of the show, um, Sarai, who's going to come on with us in the distant future when we get to Treasure Planet, she was talking to me about this movie, and she was uh, saying that um, Pocahontas probably did save John Smith's life several times. We don't know if um, she was actually saving his life when uh, she laid on his head, and uh, that may have been a some sort of ceremony that he was misunderstanding because he couldn't speak the language um, and not actually like a, they weren't actually trying to kill him, but. Um, <laughs> and he's the only source we have for that as well. So right. If yes. it even happened. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, it's just so great that like, I mean, just this confused, um, you know, it's just the classic confused American tourist, um, except he obviously was English. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in and a he, different culture. Like, oh, obviously yeah. she was trying to save me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I love I love that story um, or that version of the story um, that that he was just utterly confused and that this was some sort of adoption ceremony or something like that. Um, however, she probably did save his life a couple times because because of things like that, where there was a plan to invite them in and uh, then they were just going to kill them. And she actually went and, and warned him um, or warned all the settlers. I don't know about him specifically. And so saved his life in that way a couple of times, which is just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's hard to imagine. Um, the, the scene in this movie though, I, I think is enormously powerful. It, it's really well done. It, it taps into something really fundamental to the human imagination. This, this idea of self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the film does a really good job of building the tension up toward, uh, up to that moment so that when she when she swoops in and stops the tension, it's, it's very, uh, very effective. I think. Yeah. Whether it happened or not, whether it's just part of the legend or the, uh, or the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you want to say more about that? Cause you're right. It is, it is a very powerful moment in the movie. Just the notion that she, um, you know, she, she met him the day before and already he means so much to her or probably more accurately, she's managed to do what nobody else in either camp can do, which is to see that the uh, there are at least people on the other side who are human beings and who don't deserve what's going to happen to them. And and she goes in and not not grabs her father's. Um, it's like a big staff he's going to use to crush his head. It's, she doesn't grab that. She actually goes and puts her head on his head. And, and it's, it's just a very, very powerful image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which immediately then also like sets up the next moment of sacrifice in the movie, like um, because he he then jumps in front of the bullet for uh, her father, Chief um, Powhatan, which is oh, the name of the tribe. Powhatan. Right. Yeah. Um, but also what the what the um, English called him uh, in real life. So. Yeah. So it's kind of that, I mean, that very, uh, you know, it's, it's that sort of, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've given you, I've given my life for you and now I'll give my life for others, you know, very, I think there's some real Christian themes in there, you know, as far as like, um, laying down your life, sacrificing for others and, um, you know, like the, the grace you have received, you know, like That's right. pass on, you know. Yeah, pass on to others, that, that he's then to that, that he's then willing to die for the man who was going to kill him seconds earlier. Yeah. Yeah, because of her. So. Yeah, it is really amazing. And I, I think so. Glenn Glenn Keane is the one who kind of set up set that scene, you know, storyboarded it, and um, he's the one who really fought and argued that this needs to be your climax of your movie because you're never going to get anything more powerful than this. Uh, uh, you know, early stages, they actually had it earlier in the movie. It's um, amazing to think that that was ever not going to be the climax. It's so clearly it's what the climax should be. Everybody listen to Glenn Keane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know, hearing all the stuff about Glenn Keane since uh, The Rescuers Down Under has really made me rethink the way I think about The Family Circus. <laughs> yeah in what way <laughs> I just feel like if the family circus produced somebody with, with as, as good a visual and narrative sense as Glenn Keane it couldn't be all bad yeah but then I go look at some of the strips and it really is that bad 
I always liked him when I was a kid when they did the, uh, you know, the the little dash path right. all around the Legal all around the strip. The yeah, I always appreciated those ones. But yeah, I had another thought there, and then it just I'm, I'm went sorry. out. Oh, I, oh I no, it's good. No, I, I've I've got it back. You, you mentioned rescuers down under, which I think is another interesting thing. Is um the uh, so the other co-director on this film is Mike Gabriel, who also directed uh, Rescuers Down Under, and I think you can see some of the same uh, what. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm missing my word here, but like, um, his, there's some, there's some similarities. There's some, there's some ideas here that, you know, like the jumping off the, the cliff to open the, mm-hmm. you know, to open our meeting of Pocahontas, you know, is very reminiscent of Cody jumping off the cliff, um, and just swan diving forever, right? And, um, and then just the big, big scenery and everybody being kind of minuscule and 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 small compared to that. So we can blame um, him for that is what you're saying. Well, I think it worked better in this. I think there was lessons learned. Yeah, but Josh, from- they did an enormous amount of research for this movie. Did you know that mm-hmm. every word they say, all all the the Algonquin words they use are real words in the Powhatan language, which is mostly lost, but they still have some of the words. Mm-hmm. And and you know, they they so they've done all this research. But nobody bothered to go to Eastern Virginia and see that there aren't any cliffs there. <laughs> Eastern Virginia is a swamp. <laughs> it looks like Washington D.C. <laughs> maybe he just yeah. had. Maybe, maybe it is the guy from. Uh, maybe it's Mike Gabriel, and it's he just had. Uh, he just had Australia on the brain. I guess so. But those yeah. are beautiful scenes, but they're, they they don't seem to be set in uh, Jamestown. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Actually, I'm not, I don't know. I I think I've driven through Virginia, but that's the most that I can say about it. Well, and Western I, I don't Virginia do has mountains, but yeah. Eastern Virginia, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I was. I'm a little disappointed now. I was thinking, wow, I, I should go visit here. This looks like a really amazingly beautiful place. Or it was it before really does, the Europeans yeah. showed up, at least. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's just the fact that the Europeans showed up, Mike. They, they tore that cliff down looking I, for gold. <laughs> I, made, I made that joke last night with Victoria, too. I said, uh, I said, I said well, that's what happens to the cliffs of eastern Virginia. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy that we made the same joke. I love that. <laughs> We've been doing the show together too long. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they must have known that, right? They must have known there aren't cliffs in Eastern Virginia. They must have looked at pictures of Jamestown. So I think so, they went to Jamestown. I mean, as part of their uh, research, so, I mean, yeah, they I'm must sure they have did. decided that the cliff diving scene was just too good to, to to pass up because it tells you so much about who she is. And I mean, it it, it is a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of really great stuff in this movie. Um, for for me, it just doesn't all come together somehow, and I, uh-huh. I don't know exactly what to put my finger on of, of why it doesn't. But there there is a lot of really, I mean that like you said, like that that's great character work, and there's a lot of good character work in this. You know, it's very. Um, I think that's another lesson learned from Rescuers Down Under. Actually, is uh, during that movie, I complained about how fast paced it was and how there was never a moment to breathe. And this movie gives you lots of space mm-hmm. to breathe and very quiet. Um, character moments that I, I think are really lovely and beautiful. So, um, yeah, I think there there is a lot that they learned 
um, or that Mike Gabriel, Mike Gabriel either learned or Eric Goldberg softened his edges, I guess. I don't know <laughs> enough <laughs> about either of their, like the rest of their careers, you know, like to say, but um, yeah, there's, there's a lot in this movie to like. Why do you think it doesn't come together? I mean, I agree with you, um, it doesn't come together. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if... Um, it's, a B, it's a B-level movie, you know? Yeah, but not in any way except for, I think, I think the story itself is maybe a little muddled. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it's just supposed to be like kind of a classic uh, Romeo and Juliet love story of, you know, two people who, you know, they're... You know they're coming coming from rival tribes, and you know to use that, I, that's probably the wrong language to use with this movie. But you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. they're coming from rival factions, and um, so they're not supposed to be interacting, and somehow they do. But it it's just not meant to be. Like that seems like it should be, you know, just a perfect story. So I don't I don't know where they lost their way in that because my oh yeah my dad asked me the same question earlier today and i, I was you know because i was just talking to him about what i was gonna you know just talking through what we were going to talk about on the podcast and uh yeah I, I can't i can't put my finger on it i'm not sure what it is so yeah please give me your theory well, I, I think they run into a problem and we're going to see it even more strongly in hunchback of notre dame which is that they they have a real life story and they have a fairy tale they want to tell and they can't turn it into a fairy tale because they'll lose too much of the real life story and they know they'll get in trouble for that. But also, they can't really make, um, they can't make it true to life because they want to keep it this fairy tale. And so you end up with something that's neither fish nor fowl. It, it's set too much in the real world to have the kind of magical quality where you believe them falling in love at first sight. There's this, you know, I think it's a, a moving scene, but it's a weird scene if you think about it, where all of a sudden she can instantly speak English. Yeah. And you see what they're doing there, but this is a movie set with historical characters in the real world. The villain is an actual mm-hmm. man named Governor Radcliffe, you know? So, so they, they can't go too far in either direction, and they just can't pull the movie together uh, in the middle. And the problem they're going to run into with Notre Dame, I don't know if you've seen that, is that the, the, the novel is way, 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 way too dark to be a children's movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so instead of just completely defanging it and making it not the hunchback of Notre Dame, they they make it a slightly darker version of a Disney movie and it's neither a Disney movie nor a hunchback. Now it's been ten years since I've seen maybe fifteen years since I've seen a hunchback. So I could be I could be wrong. I I might change my tune about that, but that's that's always been my read of that movie. Um and, I, and it's my read of this one too, that that in trying to turn real life into a fairy tale they can't quite do either one Mm. yeah i think that's a fair assessment because that that was part of what i was feeling um even as like so you know you get to the end of the movie and you know there's there's peace for now between the tribes or or, sorry It's, just, it's so our political language these days to just call everything tribes, but there's peace between the factions, you know, and um, the uh, like I, I in my head, I'm like, but it it doesn't play out like this, you know, like the disease is going to come the you know, we're going to 
the Europeans are going going to push them off their land. Like this is this is an uneasy piece, and it's a piece that is that I just know is bound for failure. You know, right. and I think that was part of part of it for me is the the they they kind of pr- prided themselves on this isn't the Disney princess happy ending happily ever after they get married, which is true. It's not, but it is kind of a happy ever after history that I just know is not the history. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> does that make any sense? It, it I don't does. know. I wonder if the, if the, the movie would have been better if at the end at the coda where he's sailing off to England and Pocahontas's wind mother, uh, goes and fills his sails. If they, if they had had some sort of intimation of something darker about to happen, that the, mm-hmm. the piece couldn't last. But see that that that's an awfully dark message for a movie about tolerance, right? Because it suggests that tolerance is only ever uh, temporary. Yeah, yeah, it definitely would not line up with the theme of the movie. Which, um, like I said, I, I really think I think that was the other thing is they had a really strong theme more than they had a strong story. And the, I mean the theme the theme is great, but they just they didn't have the really strong story to to punch it home, you know, and, and you see why they picked this story. It's, it's one that everybody kind of knew the broad strokes of, or at least I did when I was growing up, it has a, uh, a female lead, a non Anglo female lead, which is obviously something they were looking for at the time. But I just, I don't know that this ends up being the right story for, um, for your, for your kind of small L liberal, myth about tolerance okay. I, I think probably they would have been better off if they had made up an original story um, and then they wouldn't have had the the unpleasant issue of actual history to deal with yeah that could be I don't know it makes me a little sad though because it's like they. <laughs> I don't know on the one hand like you know, we've, um, I feel like we've dunked on the, uh, you know, the, the higher ups at Disney plenty of times on this show. So, um, it's, it's funny saying like, I feel a little bad for them, but like, you know, they were, they were really trying to, they were, to yeah. make it's, something. This and, is a movie made, I, I really think with the best of intentions. I mean, at least I, we can, we can say that. I think there's room to criticize them even within that, uh, because ultimately they are, going to make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars by telling this native American story, um, without, you know, giving a whole lot back to the, to, to native Americans, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I did think that, um, so the, the, the guy who plays, um, chief, uh, Powhatan, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't have his full name here. Um, it, it, oh, Russell means, so Mean says, um, quote, scholastic, linear thinking nitpickers fixated on the movie's historical inaccuracies are missing a point. That's us. Pocahontas is – yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying not to be. I really am. Like I, I think there's a lot to say for this movie. But um, Pocahontas is the first time Eurocentric male society has admitted its historical deceit, said mm-hmm. Means. It makes the stunning admission that the British came over here to kill Indians and mm-hmm. rape and pillage the land. Mm-hmm. Lion King was this generation's Bambi, 
demonstrating that animals have feelings and causing children to question the morality of sport hunting, he continues. Pocahontas teaches that pigmentation and bone structure have no place in human relations. It's the finest feature film on American Indians Hollywood has turned out. So I, I don't know. I think there's something to that mm-hmm. where, like we said, like the, the, the intentions are really good. The, mm-hmm. the lesson there is really good. The, um, yeah, the confession in a way. I mean, this is a bit of a confessional piece, really, when you think about the people who are making it, um, are more likely to be the descendants of Ratcliffe than the descendants of the heroes, right? It's also worth noting that they do something that, I, you know, they, that Disney has not always done, which is that all the native characters are played by native voice actors. Mm-hmm. With the exception of um, Judy Kuhn is the singing voice of Pocahontas, and she is not um, Native American. But, I, I mean, that is something. I think they were really trying to to make this... Uh, to make this something for Native Americans as well, and as yeah. you said, they had a uh, they had a, a Native American consultant who was kind of telling them, you know, what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. And yeah, and I, I'm not one of those people who says that well, you know white people can't make movies about anything other than white people. I think that's a stupid argument. Uh, so I don't I don't want to go too far down that road either. I, yeah. I I do I do think it's probably worth saying they have they have good intentions here. I, I don't think this is a cynical movie. Yeah, I agree. But I, I but and and again, my issue is not so much that it's historically inaccurate. It's that the history not not just the history of Pocahontas, but the history of Anglo Native American relations is um is so nasty and so well known, well documented that it makes it difficult to accept the ending of this movie yeah except so yeah so i I, i'm i think i'm totally on your side because it i mean i i'm the one who said like i think that's why it's not resonated with me but the the one counterpoint there is like that's kind of pocahontas's story in a little bit of a way right like is that she is the one who says no there is a way to make peace here and so like even if she's the only one (laughs) you know like it's cool it's worth highlighting her right like it's worth highlighting that that person who is you know helping us to get past the immediate like this won't work we you know the the history is is too bad the between between our peoples we can't ever you know we can't ever come to terms and and she would be the one to say i think like well we we can you know there's 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 grace that's big enough for this but then the problem is if you want to take if you want to take this movie and expand it out into all white native american relations you have the problem that it's no longer symmetrical so the the movie suggests not so much that the English are not more at fault than the Native Americans, but that the Native Americans are to some extent at fault, right? They do some pretty nasty things in this movie. And I, just just to, to pause the point I was making, one thing I like about this movie is it doesn't engage in the kind of patronizing myth-making of something like that Neil Young song, Cortez the Killer, where he says the Aztecs were a society that didn't know war or violence until the uh until cortez showed up and taught it to him the aztecs of course are one of the most violent societies in the history of the world and and you know lots of the native uh native tribes are are fighting with each other all the time even before white people get here so it's not that mm-hmm. white people came and introduced violence to this it, it 
they they did a lot of bad things. I'm not trying to defend them, but the movie shows that there there is a kind of symmetry to the um, to the intolerance here. I think mm-hmm. in the 20th century and in the 21st century, there is no more symmetry. the 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 things um, The things the United States has done to Native people uh, have been so bad and so like clearly uh, out of proportion bad that that kind of symmetry can't exist, and Pocahontas can no longer be a symbol for um, tolerance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> what a, yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to say about that. It's really, um, yeah, it's, it's. I think your your point of the the symmetri- the symmetry there is really good because in this movie it is nearly one hundred percent symmetrical. Like we see, and I mean, I guess maybe we should spend a little more time actually talking about this movie. So, like, I mean, we open up in England. And we see kind of their, you know, the, the sailors, the explorers, like their way of life. And then we move immediately to, um, Virginia and we see the Algonquin way of life. And, um, and as you said, like they're, you know, part of that way of life is they're coming back from a battle right at that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and it's, and it kind of, the movie just keeps playing that way all the way through where we get back and forth and back and forth until that final, um, kind of climactic song um, where they are, you know, they're flashing back and forth within the same song and we see the Native Americans beating their drums and we see the Englishmen beating their drums and, you know, like they're both around a fire and like the, the clouds come up. I mean, it's really, it's it's uh, powerful the way that the symmetry uh, moves in this movie, I think. But even there, I wonder if it's not false symmetry. I mean, you have on on the one hand, people who have have sailed across the ocean with with the end of killing Indians in mind they, they talk about it even before they sail um, and who who are aggressive conquerors of the land and then you have people who you know however they get along or don't get along with their neighbors are just defending their home yeah so so even <laughs> even even with that symmetry I wonder if it's not falsified a little bit yeah which i think gets back to your point about like you know why the movie maybe doesn't fully work it it rings a little hollow um because you can play with history and you can fan fiction history as i was saying earlier um but you know the that it'll only stretch so far before Mm -hmm. it you know it breaks and it doesn't it doesn't quite work well, there's so many good things about this movie. It's not, you know, not not to not to beat a dead horse, but this is a good movie in a lot of ways. But it 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 kind of collapses under the weight of its own ethical ambitions. I think mm-hmm. that's a great way to put it. I think that is it. Like they 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 were trying to build something, um, you know. <laughs> the, I, I don't I don't know the the right metaphor, you know, but like they they were trying to build a colossus of some kind here, you know, like they wanted to create a perfect animated film that was going to win best picture and it collapsed under its own weight. I think that's I think that's perfect, Michael. 
there's a there's a kind of tragedy to it. it well, yeah. There would be tragedy to it if it were a bad movie, but it's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie, but it's just uh, yeah, and I'm I'm sure there's people who really love this movie, you know. <laughs> so see, I, I, I think it. Just, I, I'm I'm tempted to say what they should have done is just made this another animal fable like Lion King, and mm-hmm. and then not have the pressure of real life history bearing down on it. But then, one of the great things about this movie is that it, it's it's so grounded in this particular Native American milieu, and and you would lose that, or if you didn't lose it, if you use Native actors for your animal characters the history would just bear down at all again you know what i mean there, there's, yeah. there wouldn't be a way to escape that so i don't know yeah well that movie was hidden inside this movie michael that's uh the story of miko and um percy percy that's true and you know the funny thing about that is the the roles are switched oh because miko is always um uh scavenging and taking everything from uh percy from percy yeah <laughs> yeah that's true. I hadn't caught that, but that's really right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He's stealing all of Miko's cherry resources. <laughs> you know, it's good that he was, because cherries are poisonous to dogs in, in large amounts. <laughs> he was really looking out for them. Yeah, he didn't know it. That's a really great... So that... Those, I, I, don't, I was wondering how you felt about these, because it is kind of like cute... Uh-huh. Uh, little things in this movie i don't like flint but i I do like miko and percy okay (laughs) i yeah most of miko and percy really worked for me i didn't love the getting stuck in the log bit wasn't my favorite but the the interaction when when percy's taking a bath and miko steals his cherries but then my real favorite one is when um percy has a little music box with the, the uh the little tiny bones on them and he, he gets the, the music box spinning and as it comes around all the bones are missing and then it zooms out and you see that that miko's stolen them all <laughs> that was a really that was really good i um i liked the the one with the log i thought that was really excellently animated it must have been yeah. a lot of fun to animate that and they use it to pay off because then when they're you know when they're scared in the woods then then uh, percy comes <laughs> with that log on his on his head so it pay off a few a few minutes later. Flit though, I couldn't I couldn't deal with that. He he acted <laughs> he didn't act enough like a hummingbird to to me. Mm. He's eating whole yeah. raspberries and getting his beak stuck in the boat and stuff. I, he annoyed me, but I liked uh, yeah. I liked Miko and Percy. Yeah, the flit scene I really appreciated is when uh, John Smith comes to visit Pocahontas in the village. Uh-huh. And he's he's ready for him uh-huh. and he blocks him he blocks him with, with the hard sack. Uh, yeah, with the hard hat, and then and then Flit is is struggling against it. Um, I, I thought that was nicely animated. That that was good. Nice. Yeah. They made the choice in this movie to again because of the seriousness of the movie. I think they're. I mean, they're really tonally trying to get a serious movie to make all the animals mute. Yeah, I think that was um, smart. Yeah. So Although you you know that so. John Candy had recorded. Uh, lines for a turkey character for a, for a turkey yeah <laughs> they got they got cut what a different movie that would have been <laughs> john candy running around <laughs> but it makes you wonder you know like i mean 
it, it could have been better, you know, like if they hadn't been hadn't been trying so hard to make this like really dramatic cinematic movie and had let it go a little more cartoony and had John Candy in it, you know, the way that Rescuers Down Under did, um, you know, oh, maybe it would have been a better movie. But again, if you're if you're gonna tie it at all to John Smith and Pocahontas, you can't do that. <laughs> I really, I really think the problem was that they tried to tie it to history at all. Yeah, I can see the temptation though, because I mean, Pocahontas has both Pocahontas and John Smith actually have just incredible, incredible stories. But much of which they, they disregard guess, to make the movie. Right. Yeah, and that's the, that's the problem. <laughs> but yeah, they um. Yeah, historical fiction novelization or something would do better for these characters than a Disney movie, probably. Well, probably just not for kids. I mean, John Smith is one of history's great a-holes. Like, <laughs> you, you could see him being the villain in a movie like this, and it, it would actually be pretty interesting. And, and yeah. maybe then he could be voiced by 2020 Mel Gibson instead of 1995 Mel Gibson. <laughs> 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 after after we watched this last night, I demanded that we watch the Simpsons episode starring Mel Gibson. Have you seen that? Um, yeah, I think I have. It, Marge has like got a total crush on him. It's from 1999 or 2000, and it is a period piece because the the premise of the episode is that Mel Gibson is too nice to get anything done in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves him too much. There's even a joke about Robert Downey Jr. being arrested. So it's it's weird to watch their uh, cultural their their kind of cultural reputations switch places. Yeah, that is bizarre. Gibson's pretty good in this, I thought. Yeah, he's probably actually one of the best. I think. Um, I don't, I don't know the the voice acting in this didn't really I didn't love it. And that was another thing that I felt like was a little was maybe part of the problem was it was a little flat to me. I don't know that I can defend that statement. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to argue with you, and I'm I'm trying to think of another performance that really blew me away. I mean, I, th- I think the movie would want me to point out that David Ogden Steers plays both Ratcliffe and his assistant. Yeah, but neither one of those performances blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Ratcliffe is I I don't know he's he's really interesting in this movie. Um, He's almost like he too t- human I, to be a good cartoon villain. Yeah, yeah. And I think the point that they were that um, whoever I was quoting earlier, I don't even remember now, was trying to make about him not being the actual villain of the movie was, you know, like his his interest is really not in Pocahontas at all. So po- if Pocahontas is your heroine, uh, he's really like she's. You know, she's just another Indian to to him. Like he mm-hmm. he wouldn't even care that she existed. You know, and so they never really have a a conflict between each other. You know, like their stories are almost uh, I don't I don't know they're 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 parallel to each other in not that symmetrical way, but in the like they never touch right. Like their their storylines never really cross. They just are affecting each other. Others circles in some way you know like the ripples from each story i guess hit each other but they're not really personally involved with each other not in the way that like um 
you know, Scar is personally involved with Simba or right. um, Ursula is personally involved with Ariel. You know what I mean? In, in that sense, John Smith would be the protagonist of the movie. Right? Yeah. Because the, the, the big conflict with Ratcliffe is not Pocahontas, but John Smith. But John Smith becomes a different person because of Pocahontas. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, but might I mean, be another mark against this movie. Because while it's called Pocahontas, <laughs> I think I just said that it was a movie about um, about this white man, and and Pocahontas yeah. is kind of the means to his salvation, which is you know a controversial uh, structure. Yeah, but I think if you push it a little harder, like uh, I don't know, I would press back against that a little bit because it's definitely you know she's trying to find her way her you know like her her way in the world her way to be in the world in a, in a world where she really doesn't uh, it's not that she disagrees with um her playing her part in society like she wants i think she wants to be the person that you know what what her what's her father say to her he says they they still look to your mother as a source of wisdom and as a source of, you know, something besides wisdom, I don't know. And and someday they'll look to you for that. And then they do, right? Like, that's her journey is that – but she has to find her path in order to be that. Like, she can't follow her – the path that her father has set out for her in order to become the person that the tribe looks to for wisdom. She has to follow her own path, and then that, that wisdom that they find happens to be – don't kill this white guy just because he's white. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's one reason it's interesting that she stays at the end of the movie instead of going to England with him. They 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 do avoid that. And I think, have you seen Moana? I've not seen it yet. Oh, because Moana does know. the same thing, but much better. <laughs> because it, <laughs> it, it doesn't also have to deal with the tolerance message. It really mm-hmm. Moana is about Moana in a way that Pocahontas is not necessarily about Pocahontas, but that's the central conflict in that movie: is is will she stay and do what she's supposed to do for the tribe, or will she, you know, follow her heart? Yeah. Moana, I should say, I is a better movie than this. I think. Yeah, and again, they probably learned lessons from this movie to get there. You know, um, I would I would say, but. But yeah, I think I don't. I like I like Pocahontas as the protagonist in this because I do think that's an interesting sort of like how do you how do you serve your group or your society that you're in, but also like so how do you push? What am I trying to say here? You can't conform so much that you become nobody within the society, but you can't go so far to the extreme that the society rejects you either, right? Like you have to be your own self. You have to be an individual um, in order to make a difference, but you have to find your, there is a, there is a tension there. You can't just become so wild and free that, that your society no longer supports you. Right. Yeah. And and the movie kind of hints at that conflict, but I don't think it really, um, really examines it as much as I would like it to. And again, Moana—that is the—that is the central tension of Moana. So yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that movie. 
But actually, that makes me think, you know, when they when so when this movie originally was pitched, I think it was pitched closer to what I just said. Mm. Like it was a, you know, a, a girl who's, you know, an, a Native American princess who's torn between these two, you know, uh, you know, pleasing her father and doing what she believes is right or whatever, you know, it was like the original pitch. And then it, I think it got it got greenlit immediately because everybody saw, oh, we could pack all these messages into this movie, <laughs> and it became a message instead of this uh-huh. interesting it story. Bear it. Yeah, yeah, we've already discussed that that it kind of collapsed under it. This, but I think this, that colors is, of the wind. This is oh, such a, this is such an interesting movie, Josh, because it's not a bad movie, but it's not a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, which I feel like we get our maybe I, I don't know how the the listeners feel, but I feel like we get some really interesting conversations out of those those movies more so than like the really great movies, you know. Well, there's what can you say about a movie that's great, you know? Yeah, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and if it's bad, you can have fun dragging it. But like th- this movie that um, that. Uh, that, that has such noble intentions and has such good elements and just can't quite make it. And it can't make it because of the things that make it as good as it is. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's interesting. Anyway, you were, you were saying something about colors of the wind. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, I think you see a little bit of that within colors of the wind, because within colors of the wind, she's trying to figure out how to, um, how to express that, um, like her you know it's like her personal manifesto but it's almost like she discovers it also within the song in -hmm. a way you know like by the end of the song she feels confident now in this is who i am and this is or more confident at least you know um like this this is the right way for me um but she needed that push of I, I actually have to present this to somebody, <laughs> you know, in order to get it to a place where, where she could believe it and walk it. And then, of course, she goes through that crisis of faith later with uh, with um, Lady Willow or whatever her name is. Grandmother and says, Willow. You know, Grandmother Willow, yeah. And says, I, I, you know, my path led me astray. My heart led me astray. I went the wrong way, you know. But but you can't have a crisis of faith until you have faith. And I think, I think colors of the wind is a bit where she like finds her faith and, you know, through expressing that she finds it. I like that a lot. It's definitely the best song in this movie. I think I don't, I, it's really good. I like that just around the river bend a lot. The I want song. Yes. See, I don't know. I think the chorus is okay, but I, I feel like the verses, there's something about them. That's a little, uh, it's that talk singing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie, uh, the songs are much less memorable than the last four. Yeah, they did. They just didn't quite get there. It's, it's probably now, now's the time to mention that Alan Menken, who wrote the music to this movie, just he got it. He just I can't remember which one he didn't have. It must have been an Emmy. I think he got a daytime Emmy. Uh, just like last week as we're recording this. Oh, congratulations to him. Yeah. <laughs> it seems bizarre he didn't already have one. It is kind of bizarre. 
as many great songs as he's written. And the lyrics were written not by uh, Tim Rice, uh, but by uh, Stephen Schwartz, who probably best known for writing uh, Wicked. Mm. I do like the lyrics for the most part. I just the the songs themselves don't quite come together. Um, what, what's the one where they're singing about tearing the land up? My, mine, mine, mine. Is that the name of the song? Yes. I yeah. I enjoyed. There is a joke in there about uh, the sound of music, where he tells them to mine every mountain, and it sounds like climb every mountain. Oh yeah. I, I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny. That is funny. I missed that, but that's really great. Yeah. Mine, mine, mine is an interesting song because um, there you do have Ratcliffe and John Smith both seeing the land as not exactly what it is. That's right. Yeah. But but also seeing it differently. But yeah, like they're but, both seeing it wrong, but they're seeing it different from each other. But Smith's way can be redeemed. So if you see the land as a way of proving your masculinity, you, th- that that's something that can be brought around to this more holistic view of what the land is. But if you see it as just mm-hmm. an empty depository for gold, mm-hmm. nothing can be done for you. <laughs> right. You're just going to have to be tied up and gagged and sent back to England. Yeah. Although, um, yeah, in some ways, Ratcliffe does... I mean, it's it's Ratcliffe's broken view of masculinity then at that point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a weird way, like because it's not that the, you know, Smith sees the land as like it's going to challenge him and, um, yeah, help push him to be a man, and and Ratcliffe sees that that he's going to be a man when he's respected for his wealth and, um, you know, so it's it's interesting. That's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. So first we have to redeem Ratcliffe's view of manhood, and then we can review, renew, or, uh, you know, then we can fix his other views. <laughs> or, you know, just tie him up and send him back. Yeah, just send him back to England. He'll be fine. Hey, way worse things could happen to Ratcliffe, believe me. <laughs> and did. <laughs> oh, man. We should talk about Grandmother Willow. Yeah. I read some contemporary, like 1995 era reviews of this movie by Native Americans, and Grandmother Willow was a frequent uh, object of attack. Okay, let me, um, I got to throw this out here before we get too far into her. Okay, so because of Katzenberg's... (laughs) <laughs> to Grandmother <Yeah>. Willow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad, Michael. That's really bad. Um, okay, this is this is a quote from Wikipedia. Because of Katzenberg's opposition to having Grandmother Willow in the story, Joe Grant assisted fellow veteran story artist Bernie Madison with coming up with tree puns such as "My bark is worse than my bite," "The roots of all problems," and "They're barking up the wrong tree." Madison reluctantly added them to his pitch for the next morning and during the store meeting. He exclaimed, "Everybody loved it! All of a sudden, oh, I want her in! Let's put her, let's build her part bigger." Oh lord, 
Did you see on that same paragraph on Wikipedia, she was originally a male character named Old Man River, voiced by Gregory Peck. And Gregory Peck told him, uh, guys, this needs to be a woman. I, yeah, I, think, I, I think the complaint from the Native Americans whom I read in 1995 was that she is a white person's idea of Native American spirituality rather than something concrete from an actual tribe. Now, again, we don't know anything, I believe, about the Powhatan's religious beliefs, but surely they could have found another Algonquin tribe and um mm. and and taken but and then but then again if they did that maybe they'd get accused of making something holy into a cartoon all the more reason why maybe they should have been careful about doing something real life yeah, yeah. one thing i will say is the, like, the animation on grandmother willow is really really beautiful yeah it's really amazing it looks totally different from the rest of the movie, but it doesn't look fake. I, it must be CGI, I don't know, but it doesn't look bad at all. It's 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 really beautiful, and the the character has a has a thematic and you know plot role to play. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I eh. <laughs> yeah, I think I think yeah. So her role in the story is is a necessary one. Like Pocahontas needs somebody to confide in. What um, if she had an? That, what if she had a real mother? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So uh, yeah, that's true. What if she did? Um, Actually, and, I have an answer could... for that. I know why she doesn't. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Why doesn't she? They did research <laughs> about it, and the real chief Powhatan, like the the way he established dominance over other villages in the area with is that he would uh impregnate a woman there and abandon the child (laughs) so uh the real life pocahontas probably didn't know her mother Mm -hmm. and i guess they didn't want to they didn't want to deal with that yeah yeah that's fair (laughs) so grandmother will is a compromise but for with all this other stuff that they did like yeah i don't know i I think again, that's where they got they got caught up in the wrong questions of historical accuracy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they they understood that historically she might not have known her mother, and so um, yeah, I feel like gosh, this you're right. Like what you said earlier, like this is really an interesting movie because of this. Like we can we can kind of question all their decisions, you know, uh, however many years later here, twenty five years later. But it seems like it, on some points like that, like they should have gone for story over history. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think if, oh. if I had been if I had been pitching this movie, I would have pushed to make grandmother her, Willow her actual grandmother. You know, why not yeah. have a, a human being she could go talk to? Why does it have to be mm-hmm. this kind of mystical experience she has? Mm-hmm. Yeah, although it does make a funny. Uh, funny little scene when when uh she introduces him to or yeah she introduces her to john smith mm-hmm. john smith, did you see something i uh did i see something <laughs> i didn't see anything did i it's pretty good <laughs> yeah very good but yeah on her animation so this was a this was a hand-drawn animation that then was cgi textured mm-hmm. similar to what they did with aladdin's or with a uh, 
what the mar- the magic carpet in Aladdin oh, okay. was similar to that. Yeah, so they they draw it, but then they put the texture on well, with the CGI. It looks fabulous. Yeah. Even now. Really good. I will say, as far as gender goes in this movie, she, uh, she has a friend, which is I, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to think if there's another Disney heroine who has a female friend, like a peer, and I oh, couldn't I couldn't think of one. Yeah, the, the closest you get is Maid Marian and Lady Cluck, but Lady Cluck is her guardian. Mm-hmm. So I thought that wow, was, I thought that was question. really cool that she at least had this this you know female friend she could go talk to which uh, yeah makes the movie feel much more grounded in reality than some of these other ones do i mean for, for for god's sake the only person jasmine can talk to is a tiger <laughs> you, you know yeah and ariel's got a flounder right yeah no you're right that's that's interesting i don't Good i catch, don't know Michael. if this movie passes the bechdel test but it, it comes closer than anything else we've seen yeah. No, yeah, you're right. I think it doesn't. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. Well, yes, it does. The... Yes, it does. Okay. Because because uh, because it, it has to have two females who have who are both named, uh-huh. and then have a conversation that's not about a man, uh-huh. right? That's right. And so when she says, "Aren't we too old for these childish games?" Does that count? Yeah, I, I, that that would count. <laughs> okay. But this is not the first Disney feature to pass that uh, the Bechdel test because um, Sleeping Beauty definitely does. But Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. Aurora doesn't have any friends. See, that, yeah, that's just, what I'm, just that's what, that's just what I'm thinking of. Like female friendship, for that matter, male friendship, largely absent from these movies, but especially female friendship. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the thing that I, that this is related to Grandmother Willow a little bit that I was I was watching for as a theme in the movie. Um, is the difference between hearing and seeing because uh when grandmother willow is um telling pocahontas to find her way she's telling her to listen and she'll find it and she says um she says um if you listen they will guide you listen with your heart and then Pocahontas listens with her eyes closed. And then um, she says, what do you see? And Pocahontas says, I see clouds. But then she runs up and it's actually sails. It's not clouds. And then it immediately flashes over to Wiggins. And Wiggins says, or sorry, over to Ratcliffe. And Ratcliffe says, look at it, Wiggins, an entire land filled with gold. But it's not a land filled with gold. So the, both of them, like immediately back to back, we have two people looking at something and seeing completely the wrong thing. And then John Smith's uh, advice to Thomas is to keep both eyes open because you shoot better and you see better that way. But that leads Thomas because he says it. He says both eyes open right before he kills uh, – what's his name? Carl. Sorry, I lost it. Yeah, I, I can't pronounce the name. Yes. But anyway, right before he kills the guy. <clears throat> and so, but then at Pete, at the, and this is the last thing, at the very end, when Pocahontas puts her head on John Smith's head and the mother leaves blow by, um, again, 
the chief closes his eyes and he listens. So I don't know. I thought there was something kind of – I don't know what else to say about it except that I noticed it. <laughs> no, I think that is interesting. <laughs> the, the, the sales, she sees those as clouds because she doesn't know what sales are, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because she says strange clouds, and and which I mean, and that makes sense. I, maybe I'm making too much of it, but no, I, just, no, I, I don't. Really I don't really think you are. I'm. 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 I'm trying to push along here. Ratcliffe sees it as a land being full of gold because he literally cannot imagine the land being good for anything other than that, right? Mm. So of course it's full of gold. Yeah. Why else would it be there? Yeah. So I, I, I think I think to some extent what you're dealing with here is people who, um are able or unable to see things because of their expectations for them, expectations which are cultural or, you know, I, I guess cultural is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And then maybe maybe listening is about listening across cultures, right? So, so one of the first things Smith does when he meets Pocahontas is tell her what his helmet is because she doesn't know what it is, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. wear helmets. So the way you the way you change your preconceptions is by hearing what other people say about them. What do you yeah. think? Am I just talking? No, I think that's right. I think there's really something there, because I mean that is also what that that's the way that Pocahontas tries to convince her father. Um, earlier in the movie, as she says, you would listen to them if you could, right? And he says, "Yeah, but they won't. They won't speak to me, or whatever." He says, "I forget what his retort is, but you know." But she like demands it, you know, like, "But you would listen, you know." And so I think you're right. And I think especially with the thematic element of like looking beyond how somebody looks or the things that they their, you know, the way their culture is weird to you, and actually hearing them is it does tie into the theme there. But I think what you're saying about expectations is a good addition to it. Like our 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 imagination and our and our literal vision is shaped by our expectation. I don't know if it's shaped more than our hearing is, but at least it is in the movie. But <laughs> uh, to use your metaphor, at least I think that's that's where that's where we're that's what the movie's pushing us toward. Yeah. So Michael G. Imo uh, is like the head of um, colors and stuff on this film, and he is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the colors are gorgeous. Yeah, this is my favorite color stuff since, uh, you know, probably back to like uh, Jungle Book and 101 Dalmatians and stuff like that. Like, it. Really, really amazing coloring in this movie, I think. And that's so like there. There's so many. I mean, there's there's so many things we could talk about here. The the way that he um, uses colors uh, it in different ways in different parts of the movie, and in in ways that would be counter to what you'd expect. Um, you know, at the end, the the savages song, um, the the it's the english they're all in red and then the the native americans are all in blue um just it's really striking the way that that he used color there but it's all throughout the film the way that i don't the the mood set by the colors and the way that the colors change um 
you know, the, the, that fight that we were just talking about where Thomas, um, fires, like the colors change slightly there. There's, there's, a, there's just a lot of beautiful color work in this, in this movie. You might say he paints with all the colors of the wind. <laughs> you might, yeah. You might say something like that. <laughs> he's still at, uh, Disney, I believe. I think he's still working. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not positive about that. Being I think a I color guy must be very different in the uh, digital age. Yeah, I would think so. I wasn't prepared for the animation to be as beautiful as it was, and I don't know why I wasn't. Because, I mean, certainly The Lion King is beautiful, and this had more money behind it than The Lion King. So why wouldn't it have been? But for some reason, I had remembered it being a little chintzier than this. It's it's really remarkable. Yeah. It's amazing, and there's like a million things that we could talk about here too. Um, I mean, just the the fluidness of everybody's movements, uh-huh. and you know, specifically like so when uh, Pocahontas is is chasing John Smith at the beginning, um, or you know, kind of spying on him, which is also really hilarious because <laughs> he says that line: "If there's an Indian out there, I'll know it," and then walks right past her. This <laughs> is great. Um, but she does that kind of like spider crawl and it's just it's so amazing how fluid all of her movements are um and that's glenn Keane again doing all of that um just really amazing but i just yeah all throughout this movie the the animation is just it's there was nothing to nitpick on the animation side like it's just it is yeah it's really 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 good yeah never less than remarkable yeah and it's amazing how far we've come because it used to be like if there was a human person it was like yuck <laughs> you know <laughs> like they don't even look right <laughs> you know like back in the you know especially in the you know the war picture age you know <laughs> like right. when they were doing the the shorts and or not the shorts but you know what i mean the package films mm-hmm. but man they've they've come so far even from you know i mean there's a a a choice you know, with Aladdin to be a little more cartoony than this one, but you know, just the even the jump from Aladdin to here, the the people just look so good. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, like the the whole movie. I mean, other than those couple few animal creatures, like the whole movie is people, and they they look like like people. <laughs> yeah, there's not much there's not much that's cartoonish here. Yeah. Really, other than Percy and, and maybe Mika. Yeah. So. But even all the backgrounds and, you know, the wa- the, the flowing water and, uh, yeah, just, they, they do some amazing uh, editing on this one, too, you know, like, uh, again, that Savages song. I think, you know, the Savages song, it's not my favorite musically, but I might like it even more than Colors of the Wind, the the stuff they do with the animation in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it starts out with, you know, Ratcliffe kind of marching directly towards you, and it's just him on that bright background, and it, like, the way it edits, like, he just, like, kind of jumps up towards you, and then um, there's all the all the moving parts and the, the, the way that they lay over each other. Like, it, it's similar to... Um, they did it once in Lion King when Simba's running across the the plains and you see, you know, small Simba and on the huge plane and then you see the overlay of, 
you know, the close-up of Simba. And they do a lot of that in this song where you see like a close-up of a face over a broader like um, silhouettes of people. And so, I, I don't know. It's really beautiful. Really amazing. It makes me wish I'd gone to see it in the theater in 1995. Yeah, I kind of wish I had too. Instead of being too cool for school. Yeah. I mean, maybe I did see it in the theater. I honestly don't remember. But definitely I wasn't watching carefully for amazing animation at that point in my life. So, I think all the song sequences actually have really, really amazing animation on them. Better than the music, probably. Yeah, better than the music. But yeah. This is a movie that you can almost pause on any scene, and it's like a per, like a work of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a movie that's almost like I mean, I know this is sad to say, but it's almost better. Like I watched it with the auditory, like the um, what the commentary track, mm-hmm. just to to learn some stuff, and it was almost better that way. Not because of how good the commentary was, but because you really, really focus on the visuals because it's not lined up with the you know what I mean? Like when you're when you're watching it as a story, you you can get caught up in the story a little bit. But when you're like, I, th- I feel like this movie, if you just watched it on mute, it would be really amazing. <laughs> like because you'd just be focused on the visuals. Whereas it wouldn't work. <laughs> Which as, is, it wouldn't work as a radio play. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Which is really funny going back to that like whatever minor thematic element that's in the movie about how the the listening is the important part but (laughs) maybe that's why it doesn't hold together yeah maybe so i don't know but yeah it's really uh really stunning to to look at it's a feast for the eyes well i think we've hit everything that i um i had in my notes how about you okay yeah i think so i actually i was i was a little it's funny i was a little worried on this one that i wasn't gonna have enough to talk about i don't i don't know Especially with the movies that I'm not as familiar with, I'm always, I think, more worried about that. But I think, uh, yeah, we did good, I think. Well, this was kind of the um, the first misstep, the Renaissance. And I don't want to say it's all downhill from here, because I think there's a couple movies coming up that people really love. But uh, certainly next month's movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, is uh, controversial, shall we say. Yeah. And that one came out in 96. And so I don't remember seeing it much after 96, you know? Uh huh. And then, yeah, we're not going to really. Yeah, it's going to be a while. I mean, I, I, so all these movies are good. And it's, it's difficult. I, I think. I think everybody kind of agrees that the Renaissance ends at Dinosaur. Is that right? Yeah, both because it's supposedly, I've never seen it, but it's a pile of garbage. But then also <laughs> because it's in 3D, so it's, it, it's a different sort of movie yeah. than these others. Yeah. So we've still got a few more in this Renaissance era. It's but one I of think... the most famously terrible movies ever made. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. But, I can't either. Yeah, that'll be fun. But, the, but I'm actually I'm. Oh yeah, go ahead. The the ones coming up, the next three or four, all have something to recommend them. Um, and after that, I don't know how long it'll be before we can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, 
I'm I'm eager to see Hunchback in Notre Dame again because, um, partly because of what I was just talking about with Pocahontas, I all I, I also was surprised at how beautiful it was. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm hoping that Hunchback of Notre Dame has also like maintained some of that beauty. I know by the time they get to Hercules, they they very stylized, different sort of look, um, and then. Yeah, I think from there it's it's just different, you know. Like from then the 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 computer graphics start really taking over. But yeah, I'm just I'm looking yeah. at a list of our next year and a half, and we've got Hunchback, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan, which I've never seen, Fantasia 2000, Dinosaur, which I've never seen, The Emperor's New Groove. Now there's a weird little movie. Yeah. <laughs> Atlantis, The Lost Empire, Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, and now we're really entering the Dark Ages, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, which is the worst Disney movie I've seen, Meet the Robinsons, which I think is underrated, Bolt, and then then we're getting back into the, the, the kind of rejuvenated era for, for Disney. But yeah, there's some uh, there, there's a few good ones left, but there there is some bleak stuff up ahead. Yeah. Well, you're over a year out by the time we're getting to uh, <laughs> meet the Robinson. Uh, yeah, that's true. Who knows if we'll survive that long? Yeah, which I agree. Like, oh, well, oh, yeah. Gosh, I, I hope we survive that long. But I do agree that it is a question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, anyway, there's there's a lot of fun in there, though. As I'm looking at that list, I mean, once you get to Brother Bear, or actually, once you get to Treasure Planet, there's a whole list that I've never seen, so that'll be fun. But between then and now, which I mean, even Treasure Planet is a year out. Like, there's, like you said, there's there's things to recommend all those movies. I think, other than maybe Dinosaur, which I've also never. The thing to recommend Dinosaur is I've never seen it, so I'm excited about that. Can it be as bad as they say it is? Yeah. So far, our answer has been no. On, on the movies that we've seen for the first time, right? That we said, can it be as bad as they... Yeah, Black Cauldron wasn't as bad as they said. Yeah. What's the other one that so, we thought was going to be really bad? Um, well, you know, I'd never seen any of the package films before oh. I started doing this, but I think... Fox I and think the Hound. Yeah. Fox and the Hound is the other one I had remembered being really bad, and it's only kind of bad. Yeah. It wasn't There's things to recommend Fox and the Hound. <laughs> Not least our show about it. That's true. <laughs> anyway. Wow. All right. Well, um, let's see. What do I got to say here? Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and we are on the old interwebs at before they were before they were dot live, and also at christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us on Twitter. Michael is at Quellbummer. And I'm at the underscore alt. And we want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. I know you're thinking to yourself, but I can't leave you. And to that I say, you never will. No matter what happens, I'll always be with you.